Welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you and thank you and praise you for the life that we get to live, for all of the generous blessings that you pour forth upon our lives. Lord, please forgive us for the ways that we take uh, take for granted the, the blessings of of family and faith. And Lord, just increase within us uh, the gifts we need to um, to live holy lives, courageous lives, um, glorious lives that, that honor you. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. And with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, today on the program, I, I'm going to uh, share, we're going to have a chance to talk a little bit about my little journey into the world of helping families in their whole uh, flights into Egypt. Uh, I had a chance to work with one family on the uh, the purchase of their home, but it was just so much more than that. It was really cool. Um, so we'll have a chance to talk a bit about that. Um, and something that you kind of noticed about my life is that um, when I turned 50, that was almost seven years ago, God bless us, uh, I went on a path to simplify and strip back on the number of jobs that I had. And, um, and I was able to strip it back down to like just one and a half and now somehow I'm back up over three. I don't know. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't quite know. And I've been slowly telling you, honey, you're getting awful busy. It's a lot more work than it looks like, or it's a lot more work than you think. And you're like, no, let's go. Let's do more. Let's get up earlier. Let's work harder. It's like, oh, okay. And you know, unfortunately, what that's crowding out is my exercise. And when I'm running around, guess what I don't get to plan as well? My eating. And what's that impacting? Keto has gone bye-bye. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Are you going to bring it back? Uh, I don't know. if I November 1st. <gasps> You're right. Starts there a we whole go. month. There we go. You do keto for November and then just like blow it off for December. Oh, gosh. Or would you do... Well, keto for November. I get Well, Thanksgiving. That would that would impact things, how you ate Thanksgiving. Absolutely oh, not. not. That, so that's like a, a, a cheat day? Is that a cheat day? Gonna do what you know. want. Yeah. Well, we have a kind of a cheat day coming up on Sunday, um, All Hallows Eve or Halloween. And it was funny. I, Lu- Luciana, our ten-year-old, was complaining. She's like, "Dad, Dad, can we can we go trick or treating on Saturday?" And I'm like, "It's Halloween's on Sunday. You can't go knocking on doors on Saturday." Somehow she thought it was like a ripoff. Uh, and um, I actually think that. Um, it also gives the church an opportunity to put together a kind of All Hallows Eve event, which I think is a great blessing because it helps reframe the event. I don't know. What are you thinking? Of, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? I'm all for the candy. Whatever event has more candy, chocolate, <laughs> that would be the best. I can remember like when we were younger, when we had younger kids, we had, I, I feel like there are certain themes in, in um, one's life that kind of acts in waves. Like at one point it takes on a greater focus and intensity and then it fades off and you laugh at yourself and say, I can't believe I was like that. And then you come back around and you're like, oh my goodness, I, I was so lackadaisical back there. And then it's kind of this undulation, this wave thing. And I think um, like Halloween is one of those because we reached, we were at a stage, I remember, when maybe when our kids were really young, where we had this intensity around, you do not celebrate Halloween. You celebrate All Hallows Eve and you find a church or church is where they're going to be doing events that will keep the focus on saints. Can I just call you out right now and tell you, this makes me feel good because I always feel like I have a bad memory and then I'm able to expose you for your bad memory and I shouldn't feel good about that. But then I'm like, hey, I actually remember things here. We went to the churches when we had rain showers, thunderstorms. Is that what it was? Yes. And the every church was, was packed. Was it because of principles? No, it was pouring oh, down man. rain. Like two. I guess that is a principle. Don't get wet. Halloweens. There are two different Halloweens where we had to go to churches. And that was us and like a thousand other people. Um, but other than that, no, we always enjoyed a uh, cool night, going house to house, meeting up with like five families and just hanging out and enjoying the kids, the excitement, the, all the candy. So yeah, I, those were um, those were hard nights for me. 
for one reason. Hold on, let me think. Come on, this is not that complicated. Too much chocolate. No. None of chocolate. No, no, no. <laughs> you know the answer. You're I'm being a wise guy. Teasing. Because you were afraid that you were going to lose a kid. Yeah, we had nine kids out there <laughs> running around. And it, was they like, would, it, it was like a slinky. The kids were like slinkies, right? Because they would like extend way out. You have to kind of pull them back in. And I was constantly doing the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, well, okay, stay partner up. And who's with so and so? And then, and then the little one's coming back. And it's just like. Oh, man, I'm getting, I got a little PTSD. I remember there. you were actually really overly, wonderfully Helicoptering. focused on where everyone was. And I was just and enjoying, enjoying talking with my sisters, with sisters and my friends. And bringing up the rear. Just oh, it's fine. Out oh, yeah, it, we'll just skip a few houses. We'll catch up. No. Um, this year, we're going to have families over and actually go up and down our neighborhood. When we went trick or treating last year, or is it two years ago? The neighbors, well, the last two years, they were all, bring more people, bring more kids. There's not enough kids in this neighborhood. And, okay, just to say they got 11 giant-sized candy bars, or not giant-sized. Carrie, you're giving away just, the secret yeah. here. You know, you know you're going to have a busload of people come pouring <laughs> no, out. Anyone who want, wants to walk our hill deserves 11 Those big candy, candy bars. bars. Yeah. Yeah, but um, it's a pretty quiet neighborhood, and I think that's safe. But I think we have several friends that don't trick-or-treat. They're doing the All Saints party, or they're doing a church party, or they're doing a sing-along, and they provide candy for the kids. And I don't know. I just cannot give up my family traditions. My I think it's from my early childhood with how my mom celebrated Halloween with us and all the neighbors and the costume. I love costumes. And I think even last year I got really mad at you because you got rid of, like, 10 or 15 of my decorations because you thought they were too spooky or evil. Yeah, I thought they had, there was too much of a, so like a, <laughs> yeah, see, there it was. I was I casting had, out the darkness. I had no Frankensteins. I had no witches. I had no cute little ghosts. It, they were the friendly ghosts. They weren't ghouls. They weren't evil spirits. I never in do white sheets. anything bloody zombie, nothing like that. That's gross. Yeah. No, it was all just cute, happy pumpkins and I don't know. Well, I think I think part of that's like everyone has a different gift, and, and I've said before how many times one of your great gifts is decorating a home in order to help foster a sense a certain kind of environment, right, in the home that um, makes the events that happen in the home more associated with the time of the year, and and that is a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift to help kids recognize a sense of beauty, right? Help kids recognize a sense of the flow and the change of things. Um, uh, there is one custom that I don't exactly know where you got it from, but it's something that we've been doing for years. It's You call it booing. I don't know. Is that the typical name for it? Is that what they call it? Yeah, that's the, the typical name. I got it from my sister in California who they did it in their whole neighborhood. And then I just adopted it and made it my own. And we did it our own way. Instead of like a little basket, we were doing gift boxes and we weren't expected to be booed, but some people would boo us just for fun because you try not to get caught at night. You go to a house and knock on the door, leave a package or a, a box of goodies and run. And um, it's just a blessing to the families. And I think you've tried to change it from booing to blessing. Yeah. And you crushed that in Jesus' name. <laughs> I did not. But I did make the poem that we left more like prayerful. Like we're doing good cheer. We want to you know, pray blessings, guardian angels over you this season, something like that. Um, and this year was so great. I didn't have to do much of anything. The kids packed all the boxes and loaded the car. And I think I screenshotted a few addresses to them. And all all six that live here and a couple of their friends went out booing. And you and I just had the house to ourselves. Were you there? Were you home that night? I think you're out of town. I, I think I was there. I don't remember. Do you remember having the house to ourselves? All I know is I was so happy that they could take this on themselves and I could pass on the baton and I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. I was just blessed that they but could do that. But what it was for me is that, you know, you sneak up, you're dropping a box of goodies and it's not just like a couple Milky Way bars. I mean, it's it's a bottle of wine and it's some nice cheese and it's like a candle. I mean, it's like, a, it's a nice box full of really cool stuff you do a really beautiful job and i think what it is is conveying uh to the to the recipients 
you know, you're a blessing to us and we want to be a blessing back to you because you're giving them to coaches or teachers or friends that, um, that, that have, we have a meaningful connection to. And so I love that idea that you're taking advantage of like a holiday and turning it into an opportunity for us to grab our kids, get them involved in a fun way and be a blessing to others. It is fun. It, it's a, it's a great strategy. I think that's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do. So uh, not that folks, you have a lot of time to do it now, but you can think about, is there a way to take that concept of, you know, I just want to be a blessing to you. Uh, I'd like to extend a blessing to you. Um, and, and if you guys want to drop boo box, boxes off to our house, I will give out <laughs> our address. Suggest. We'll be happy to receive them. Drop and run. Remember, oh. ding dong ditch, right? Knock on the door, ring the bell, and then you run. And we'll have to figure out who did it. So that was really cool. Uh, and then a couple of our kids, they, they couldn't take it. I think one kid in particular because uh, I, I don't think many, most of the families knew because most of most of the families, it was a new thing. We did a lot of families from the Oaks um, where our kids are at school because they help with a lot of car rides and sports and that kind of thing. You know, before we used to do it because of um, all the people that would help us with the kids, like babysitters and families that would take our kids or come and support me when we had so many little ones. And that was just a simple way I could say, thank you so much. We survived another week in our crazy life. But now it's a little bit different. And um, I don't know. Yeah, they, they weren't used to it. I don't know what they thought of all the Halloween gear because they're, they're not really into Halloween, <laughs> the Christian schools, which is great. But I don't know. I feel like I kind of am a guilty, like I, I'm out of the box or I've had to like hide in the closet that I love Halloween. And But should I? But maybe I I don't know. It's like not a big deal if you love Halloween and you're in the Catholic schools, but at the FSSP churches, no, they don't do trick-or-treating. They're way more serious about the... All Saints Day. The All Saints Day. Yeah. That's what they focus on. And the Christian kids and families we know just don't do trick-or-treating. It's not even something they entertain for the most part, if they're true Christians. Well, they received the boxes and they were happy to get the, the goodies. <laughs> So, I don't know. Hey, maybe Can we're we... going to make converts, right? <laughs> Let's just move on. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I don't think we'll be doing that much in the, our future. We're nearing the end. Well, and and you know, I think that um, what one of the things that you're talking about is helping to like break open, like, what do these rituals mean? Like, why are these things important? And um, I, I've been loving the fact that our kids... Have, especially our high school kids have been coming around and engaging with us more on um, the conversations they're having in their school around our faith. And that's been really cool. It's been really, really cool um, to help our kids be able to uh, understand their Catholic faith. Like just, just today before we came down, John Mark was talking to me about in their um, religion class, they were talking about the different degrees of seriousness of sin. And it was really cool because um, they didn't use the language mortal and venial sin, but the teacher referenced it. He said, well, Catholics actually refer to this idea that the, the scriptures identify various degrees of seriousness of sin. They refer to it as mortal sin and venial sin. And John Mark was like, that's right. He was flexing his Catholic uh, stuff um, in terms of saying, understanding, like, why would one sin be more serious than another? And I love that they're talking about that. And and he went on to say that the teacher was describing not just that, that there were serious, just different degrees of seriousness of sin, but the reason is because of the seriousness of the impact on that person's life and on their relationship with God. And that's the part where like apologetics isn't going to get to. Like that's the difference between apologetics and catechesis. Apologetics is providing a rational explanation for the faith, maybe using scripture or history or tradition or something. But catechesis is explaining what does it mean? How does it apply? And what do you do with it? And so they took a concept that was utterly Catholic and they broke it open, and they catechized. That's disciple-making. They were showing how truth takes root in the heart, and it can shape how you live your life. And just to, to see that happen in my son's 10th grade religion class, I'm like, where does that happen? That, it just it was beautiful. It just, it was, um, and that's just one conversation among 
a number of them that uh, I could bring out. Um, but um, I'm up against a break. Um, so, Kerry, when we come back, um, I want to circle back around to um, the recent event of your uncle's funeral that you were at. And then let, let that lead into a, a reflection on like, what kind of life are we living? Because you saw a movie that really shook you. What movie is it? We'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Carrie, when I think about the the second part of the second part of the Summa Theologica, I, I know you think about that regularly, <laughs> don't you? It's like, what, 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 what? <laughs> it, it lays out different virtues and, and lists of virtues. And I have to admit, my the favorite virtue that I learned about from St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica, you want to guess what it is? My favorite Sloth. virtue. Sloth. Why would that? That's a vice, first of all. Oh, yeah. See? Hello? See, I'm like that's back. I'm still in the, uh, I'm still in the, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> okay, go back. At, replay. Replay. Let's reset. What do you think? Okay, should I give you the table of contents? No, no. You could look through it. The, the favorite virtue. Okay, so um, obviously it's not going to be faith, hope, and love. Magnanimity. Magnanimity. See, I know my husband. How did you know that? Uh, you do know. I never said that to you. I do talk about that a lot. You just talk about it a lot. I do. So magnanimity, okay. Well, if I talk about it a lot, then you can define it. Uh, magnanimous, magnetic, beyond All right, anything. All right, forget it. Great soul. Wait, if I share what I think it is, oh, then sorry. it'll make you sound oh, oh, good, amazingly good, good, good. smart. Which that, That's a good point. Yeah, just I'll be your Yeah, like, let's, let's do this over again. How, do you, what, how, do you, how would you define magnanimity? Uh, it's like a big fat magnet and it's really strong pull <laughs> and you are like awesome and amazing and just like so amazing. I don't know. Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> so it comes from two Latin words. Uh, put together that means great soul and it's the virtue of one who longs to who desires to extend him or herself extend himself to do something great for god magnanimity at, at a human level it's the desire to extend oneself to give of oneself generously courageously perseveringly in order that this great thing might come to be. You bring in the dimension of faith, it's a great thing for God. And there is something so magnetic to a life that radiates magnanimity. And I, I think that um, the greatest leaders that you know you read about, that inspire others are these magnanimous types. You know, you. I think like when we talk about this and you reference a podcast where they interview these great leaders or books where you've read about a great leader, um, you highlight some of those things. Like they're constantly like extending, pouring themselves out. Like, is that true? Yes. Yeah. I think that they, ha well, I mean, sometimes you can ruin it by saying they have a lot of hustle. So it's so much more than that. And I think those who are really magnanimous probably aren't on podcasts so much because they're I feel too like, busy doing the great thing. Yeah, I think people on podcasts are like trying to get in front of the limelight or they're trying to make a splash and usually market or sell something. So there is kind of this yucky aftertaste in my. After I listen to one, I'm like, okay, is this person really truly authentically um, trying to bring insight and? serve others through truth and beauty? Or are they more just trying to tell their story? And and so everyone always has this amazing testimonial. I was, you know, terrible. I couldn't get up or I was addicted to this or I had this horrible experience, blah, blah, blah. And then this this uh, treatment or this new way of seeing or this new way of thinking. or this And then the, when I solved the issue with this special And tactic, then I have this special book that you can buy and you can with do five these. steps to, to getting where I am. Yeah, so I don't, and I really don't listen to a wide range of podcasts. Mine are pretty narrow. Okay, but you encountered a movie that I, in some ways embodied magnanimity. And it, um, it, you know, I'd love for you to tell the story of the movie because it wasn't one that we had found. No, well, I think before I talk about that, Tom, I want to talk about, I'm just going to, hey, now I'm directing. How nice. do you like that? I like this. This is good. <laughs> 
I'm sitting back, honey. I'm, I'm very, I'm very receptive. I'm docile. That's good. You're so tired of leading all the time. You're like, okay, please, honey, take over. No, I think um, what's so wonderful about a funeral, because we went to, I went back to Seattle for my uncle's funeral. What's so special or so um, heartfelt, I don't know what the word is, but you're just in this space of honoring a person's life. And you really are trying to squeeze out and focus on all the excellence that that person displayed. You're not talking about their terrible habits or their, <laughs> how they lost their temper or they beat their wife or they <laughs> were addicted to drugs. I mean, you're not talking about all that crazy stuff. You really are highlighting what was so amazing or magnanimous about that person's life. And I think that's why I like to go to funerals because it really puts into perspective, we're all going to die. We're all going to one day be in that box. Um, what was that famous quote of that skull church in Rome, like where you, the when, bone church, the bone church, right? Yeah, and so real quick, when you go in the bone church, down there's these side chapels uh, in the sort of the crypt in the lower level of the church, and and um, and you go past all these chapels, and they're all bones of these Franciscans that have been donated. They donated their bones to like literally decorate these little side altars, and at the very end, there's this little plaque, and the plaque says. As uh, as you are, we once were. As we are, you one day will be. And it's just so, it just really puts into perspective that we are not here for long. And that just around the corner is death. And not death, but and judgment. what's at stake in death? Okay, <laughs> so judgment. Here's a, I, I got to tell a funny Father Benedict Rochelle story. So I love Father Benedict Rochelle, who for decades just was a, a priest, holy priest of God, who was a great leader of renewal. He was on EWTN for decades. And um, he uh, would come up to Manchester, New Hampshire, and he told this story about a funeral in the Bronx, because that's where their community was based, really among difficult, broken you know, poor circumstances. And it was um, one of these like uh, African-American preachers at African-American church, uh, pr principally, you know, and attendees. And uh, this preacher gets up there and he starts giving the funeral homily for this brother, Joe. Brother Joe uh, is here before us. And he was not a church going man. He grew up in a family of faith and he left the way. And the life he lived came to a very bad end, and he did not commit his life to Jesus Christ. And that's a decision I bet he's regretting right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? <coughs> that's really sad. Oh, my goodness. It's like, uh, hey, you can't help him. Like That's their like theology. You can't help him right now, so you might as well pay attention and like learn a lesson. Like, What's at stake in your life? Uh, is your eternity, like how you live forever. What happens? Your destiny. Your, really, what's what's really of ultimate importance? And when are you going to die? When are you going to go home to God? Like, when are you going to face the judgment of your life? So anyway, there's, yeah. my, there's my lead up to you're at your Uncle Khan's funeral. Well, and I think that is the sobering part of being at a funeral is, wait a minute. We're, and as we get older, we're all getting closer. I was joking. Why did you kind of, your hand kind of pointed at me, kind of swung towards <laughs> You're me. You're getting closer. I was joking with my sister today on the phone and saying to her, um, you know, we all keep saying, you know, I don't know how much longer mom has, or, you know, she's getting older. I wonder how many more months or years it's getting closer. It's getting, you know, you just, when you have elderly parents um, or family members, you just know that that time is shortening. And, um, I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if one of us like dies in the next couple months and we're like, we all thought it was going to be mom next and now, and now it's one of us. Okay, I don't think that's funny. I just, I don't think I'm going to die in the next 10 years. I don't think any of my siblings are going to die in the next 10 years. I don't think in light of, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I doing all that God's asked me to do? Am I truly focused on the eternal because right now I'm just thinking of boo boxes and Halloween and the the senior night on Friday and going out to dinner with a couple on Saturday and having, you know, I just, every day is busy, occupied, entertained, full to overflowing with th activities. And I guess 
part of me just says like, when do I get serious with this thing called eternity and serious with my walk with him where I really am taking just a better, counting the cost a little bit more seriously. So, well, here's the thing. Like when you said that, what you just said in like the last 30 seconds, I'm like, what? Wait a minute. I've been married to you for 27 years. You're not taking this seriously? Because, (laughs) I mean, I'm like, what did I marry? What's going on? What are you been faking it? (laughs) But but no, I think what you- I think I'm in a season. I'm in a season, I think you're making a different point. And it's, it's, um, here's, here's how I'd say it. Sometimes we don't realize the fact that we're living in accord with half measures. Like we're really not all in. Thank you. You say it so well. Until we have the testimony of someone who is. Okay. It takes the like the shocking like spotlight witness of an ex- of a magnanimous life. Yes. To shake us out of lethargy to say, "Wait a minute. How am I actually living?" And I think for you that was one of the impacts of that free Burma Rangers. But before we get there, you are looking back at your uh, testimony of your uncle Khan. Well, now I don't even want to read it because I just want to move on to the more important stories. Okay. Of free Burma but I love my uncle Khan and I loved being with my family. It was so, you know, sometimes you're around family and everything they do can slightly annoy you or bother you or, for me, be more specific. Um, like who, who? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, so Christine, my sister, oh, did not Christine. let me sleep in her what? bunk beds. What? There are too many dolls in her bed. Christine, and oh, I slept on my mom's couch, which was great. Oh my Because goodness. I wanted to be with my mom and Christine the next morning, have coffee with them to get ready to go to the funeral, and it was a very special time. However, um. I just want to say that my trip back there was so beautiful because my Uncle Khan was one of nine children, our siblings, and cousins from every family, even though they're all over the country, were at his funeral. My cousins, his nieces and nephews, because he was he was married at a young age, got divorced, I think like within the first two years. It was just an odd situation where he didn't even, he had one child and he wasn't allowed to be in contact with her until she turned 18. They kind of just... The mom didn't say that he existed, so to speak, and which is really, really hard on him. And he was a very devout Catholic, so he wasn't going to go get remarried or anything like that. However, he spent years taking care of um, my Uncle Bob and Aunt Colleen's kids or my Uncle Richard's kids or helping with the Greens or helping with the Hueys and the Hanslicks. These are all cousins all over the country. And they're close. They were really close to him. And they're different seasons. And then he ended up living with my mom. So now he was close to our family and to some of the cousins that are out here. And um, in the, we're out in the Seattle area, Seattle area. Anyhow, they were all at his funeral. Like 15 of them flew in to talk about him and to celebrate his life, of how he impacted them. And it was just so endearing to see. My mom, I think, has like, there's like 55 cousins, first cousins. Um, I mean, she has... She doesn't have that many nieces and nephews because 12 of them are my family. <laughs> but just it's just you see family and you appreciate the gift of your siblings and where you've come from. It was just so beautiful. And I, I just did, I wanted to linger in the moments. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to get up and drive back here. You don't want to come back here. I didn't want to come back to all the work. No, <laughs> it was so sweet. And I, like I said, no one bothered me or irritated me like sometimes family does. I just... Even their annoyances and irritations were gifts, and I saw them as gifts. And that was a grace that God was able to allow me to see. You saw their annoyances as gifts. Yes. I love that. Can I pray that that sticks? Yes. That would be a beautiful thing. Isn't that a great way to go through life? That would be, that would actually be, that would be a great gift to have. Um, I never thought about praying for that gift. gift of when someone does something that you just kind of want to like tease out or like, uh, but then you're like, oh, wait, God. This is how God uses them to serve the family yeah. and to serve the situation and to be a gift to whomever. It was so delightful. Anyhow, I wrote something about him on Facebook about ten, eight years ago, and I um, 
My brother read it at the funeral, among other things. That a lot of people just shared wonderful stories. And it was just a way to honor him. So I kind of wanted to read it to honor him. Yeah, please do. Even though he's not here. No, but you know what? It um, When I say that a magnanimous person that is extending themselves to do something great for God, Aquinas actually defines it. And it's not measured in human terms of wealth, fame, and um, power. Really? But rather in holiness. Really? Yeah. Magnanim- mag- you cannot be magnanimous in the kingdom of God apart from holiness. Holiness is the fundamental requirement for a magnanimous life. That is and so, so true. That shows up in those who are what? Who are poor and powerless and who are unknown, obscure, right? So it, it, God only raises up a f- small few to become known and to exercise power. And and, and yet and that's what we all like in the we, human side seek after. And pursue it. Desire and emulate other people who have those, like, look, they're famous. We value on it. TV yeah, we think that somehow that equals a great life. And it's so That's so not true. Yeah. That's why I get such a, like, why I do not like the Grammys. I do not like when they How just self-adulate, self-congratulate. Now, so now this is why you know why I appreciate this magna- <laughs> like, yay, magnanimity. Yay, you're amazing. The, you're beautiful. You did the, such a great job. Uh, in the uh, in the Summa Theologica is that it's uh, it tips on its head the earthly way of viewing things that those who are important, those that are making a difference, are those that have you know wealth, power, and fame, and God. And Aquinas's point is essentially, yeah, God can use those things, but you have to be holy. If you're not holy, those things are not going to help. But if you are holy, oh, then you can do something magnificent. All right, we're up against a break, Carrie. When we come back, more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with my wife, Carrie. If you're enjoying this program, we'd love for you to go sign up for our Apple podcast. You can go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. You can get free resources. Just sign up for them there. You can also uh, send a message. You can uh, message me and I'll pass it on to Carrie. If you'd like to, right there, you can contact us. Free resources available for you to download. And of course, you can just sign up for our Apple podcast and get connected to us on Facebook and YouTube. There we go, Carrie. All nice. on mycatholicfaith.org. All right. Um, Carrie, you were just talking a bit about the message that you had prepared on Facebook, and then it was read at uh, the funeral? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, my brother read it. He, we sent in things, memories about Uncle Con, and he incorporated that into a eulogy. What was so cool is, you know, he, and we said this before, he prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet in the Rosary every day at 3 o'clock. Christine was not allowed to go down to his room. She knew, no, no, no Uncle Con. He's praying. And it's just so cool that he died on the feast day of St. Faustina at the three o'clock hour. That's when they took him away in the ambulance. He had a heart attack on the way to the hospital. And it was just, my brother said it was like the chariots of heaven coming down. He related to a prophet in the Old Testament. It was really neat. Uh, that would be Elijah. Okay. <laughs> there aren't did, many prophets that know? had chariots come down and take them up Did to you know I didn't know the prophet? Like, well, she doesn't even know. Elijah. Like, <laughs> Like Elijah's chariot that came down. No, it's like the ambulance was his chariot that brought him to heaven. But the cool thing is he got, he was buried like nine days after he died or maybe two weeks. But we didn't know till the end of the- No, you didn't know till I told you. Okay, give credit where credit's due. Thank you. (laughs) You don't get enough credit. Very humble. (laughs) That he died on the- uh, He was buried. Thanks, Dad. Just go ahead and say it. You're so much better at this. Go ahead. The funeral (laughs) happened on the feast of St. John Paul II. Which is meaningful because... He's the one that encouraged the... He was the Pope who established Divine Mercy Sunday. He was the Pope whom God raised up to bring the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the message of Divine Mercy and the person of St. Faustina out into visibility for the whole world. He said at one point that the reason that he was chosen to be Pope was for the sake of this message. That... Because he grew up within just a handful of miles from the actual convent where St. Faustina lived as a sister, this little cloistered convent, that he became, it became known to him um, as a young man about this Divine Mercy Chaplet. So it, 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 that was sort of the epicenter of where the Divine Mercy Chaplet happened. And then as it started to grow out, the messages 
reached Rome in a translation that they didn't really understand. So for a while, that the the diaries of Saint Faustina were not um, considered uh, acceptable books. So when he became pope, he was able to rehabilitate this and um, and then bring this uh, Divine Mercy chaplet into visibility for the whole world. Now look how popular it is now, right? I mean, our kids are quick to say, we love to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet as a way of getting out of praying the rosary. See how much mercy is there? I'm sorry, that was was bad, but it was true. Um, (laughs) It's definitely going to make it more popular. It's shorter for among kids. And so he he, uh, um, made St. Faustina blessed, and then a saint canonized her, and then also um, uh, established the Feast of Divine Mercy to happen the first Sunday after Easter. I just think it's so neat that you think my uncle was just this, he had no family and that his daughter was not allowed to know of him uh, being alive or existing. But when she was 18, she went and sought out our family. And then all of a sudden she realized, and she didn't know that she had 57 cousins, first cousins. And like, I don't know, 25 aunts and uncles. I mean, it was just astounding to her. And now she's become part of our family comes out regularly and um it's just a a dear person and it was just heartbreaking for her and she had to carry this whole thing on her shoulders i just yeah uh, well i want to hear your reflection on uncle khan because i think i shared a little bit of my reflections on him but i i I would use that word magnanimity because it's not in the worldly sense but in a sense of hidden and humble all right this is what i wrote about six years ago so today I want to send a huge Facebook happy birthday to my Uncle Khan. There are a few things I want you to know about him. First, he's beautifully devout. When I visit with him, his space is filled with holy cards, religious pictures, and prayer books. He loves his Catholic faith, the rosary, and mass. He prays constantly, and God is truly at the center of his life. Second, he is humble. His life isn't full of the stuff that most of us fill our lives with. His purity of heart allows him to see God in the little things, yet he serves him in all things. Uncle Khan has no vengeance in him, always speaks highly of people, and sees others as more important than himself. And he is very generous. We have met on a few occasions over the last six months, and he has unfolded the history of the Tui family through articles, photos, and stories with a beautiful sense of belonging and pride. I've learned more about my grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents. Because of the love he has for his family history, he has shared with me some of his most prized possessions, and he wrapped up this original family photo and gave it to me for my birthday. Generous indeed. So happy birthday, Uncle Khan. I'm so glad we share the same birthday week, and I love and a love for our family history. Please remember to pray for our family, members that are both here and in heaven, until one day we shall all be reunited. What a joyous and unimaginable and glorious thought. Anyhow, that's something I posted a while back, and I think it's providential because now he, who always talked about all his family, his aunts, his uncles, his great-grandparents, and knew all the history is just being reunited with them in heaven. It just must be such a glorious, glorious day. And I just see God's grace on his life that the way the days, the special feast days that surrounded his death and his funeral is just clearly how God honored him as a holy, humble man. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? Like In the eyes of the world, he didn't live an important life. In the eyes of the world, he didn't live a life that, you know, it's like a footprint. It's just going to get, the wind just blows it away. But in the eyes of God, if you say, who li- who gave, who received signs of a holy death? Who received signs of heavenly favor in the manner of his death? And it's like, man, these were some pretty big signs, some pretty, pretty big ones. I just, one quick Uncle Khan story. I remember we, um, you had some, like, it was some family event that was going on. Um, like, it might have been a wedding or it was others, maybe it was a baptism, but it was something that brought together a lot of your siblings and uncles and aunts. And it happened at Our Lady of Lords. So it was when you still lived in the house that you grew up in, your parents did. And um, uh, we went to the to the mass together uh, or the event, whatever it was, I don't remember. But afterwards, all of these family members were out just like in the parking lot, all of your family members, cousins and uncles and aunts and all these people visiting. 
And I was just like, wow, look at all these people here. And I happened to like walk around like the church towards the back. And there's a little grotto of Our Lady of Lords. And Uncle Con was there praying a rosary. He was by himself praying a rosary. It and must have been three o'clock. All I know is this, is that I'm like, I, what struck me about it was like the, the conviction of his devotion was such that there was something that impelled him to say, even though I have all of the good reasons to not pray a rosary right now, all the family is here and I could be visiting with them all Which and enjoying them all. he absolutely loved. That was and the he, highlight of he his said, life. I'm going to forego that and I'm going to come here in a hidden place by myself quietly and I'm going to pray a rosary. That's really beautiful, Tom. I've never heard that story. Yeah. It just came to you. I just, I just like, oh, wow. It was just a story that just dawned on me. I, and I remember how struck I was by that. I was like, wow. And I'm, I took out my rosary and I said, do you need one? Because I'm going back to the party. <laughs> Why were you wandering around? The I don't know. I was probably looking for the kids. <laughs> You're probably right? looking for somebody. I was looking around for, <laughs> for the your kids. Wife. Like, where are my kids? Where is everybody? Yeah. So, um, so that's one form of like a, a hidden, humble life where, you know what? And, and I, I speak to lots of people right now. We're speaking to a lot of people who maybe are in sort of an Uncle Con mode of life. Maybe they may be by themselves again or empty nesters and older and a little more fragile in their lives and maybe thinking, my opportunity or that window where I could be doing something great for God is all gone? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Lord is smiling down upon your life today. If you're hearing my voice, he's smiling down upon your life today. And you can do something extraordinary in his eyes through acts of holiness, acts of devotion, through maybe a simple act of conviction that said, in my conviction, I'm going to step away from maybe what would be pleasant and easy and enjoyable and satisfying, and I'm going to pray. I'll pray a rosary. And with that prayer, who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do? But you know who knows? God knows what he will do with that. And so, my brothers and sisters, magnanimity, magnanimity. Extend yourself to do something great for God. It is essential that we be holy. Let's pursue that. Now, when we come back, Carrie, I want to hear about these folks who not only like heard that in prayer, but then said, we're going to let that manifest ourselves in action. And that's where that free Burma Rangers movie comes in. Back in a minute, and we'll talk about that on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with my lovely wife, Carrie. And Carrie, you're like, we have to talk about this movie. And I'm like, I would love to, but I haven't seen it. So Are you going to watch it? I Well... After like how it's shaken you, it is like you are shook, right? That's a kind of a, it's kind of a contemporary word. You're shook, you know. Yeah. So I think that's probably a fitting way to say it because, and since you've watched this movie in the last was it last just few days? Yeah. So Mary Grace was here. We watched it. That's up Monday. I think it was Sunday night. Sunday night. Okay. So about four days ago, and and since then you've been like, I need to go into the desert. We need to go into the woods. <laughs> We need to like we need to move away from electricity and water and <laughs> everything. We need to go further away from the city. We need to go like we need to really and I'm like who are you <laughs> and so what has like, happened to you? So people are wondering what has happened to you I don't and what are you know. talking about? So, I just felt dead. like afterwards I'm like that was so convicting. I am a terrible Christian girl. <laughs> um no, it's um a movie that our daughter recommended to us cuz she was in Myanmar on her world race for several months. And it used to be called Burma, and now it's changed to Myanmar, somewhere in Asia, somewhere over there. And um, this is Next her favorite... Thailand. Thanks, Tom. This is her favorite movie. She's, she watches it a few times a year, she says. But um, it's this beautiful story about a man named David Eubank, who was... He graduated from, like, um, Fuller University Seminarian, and, Seminary, and he became... Um, he was a special force. He worked for the um, military, and he had his training in like U.S. special forces as a soldier. And so he has this heart to fight and to help people. And his dad was a missionary over there, and he said, "We really could use your help over here in these um, 
in the Burma town, town villages because they're being destroyed or attacked by this military group. And 100,000 people or so over the course of this time. A million. Were mis- displaced. Oh, really? A million? Yeah. <clears throat> Is that what you read? I read it on the on the website. I must have forgot a couple of zeros. <laughs> that, just one zero. That's one zero. Was that one? That, that's about right. Um, and so he goes over there. But before he goes, him and his wife are on the top of Mount Rainier because he climbed Mount Rainier. He loves climbing. I think he must be from somewhere around here because he actually takes his kids and they climb Mount Rainier as teenagers. It's really cool. Um, you know, those military guys, they're like all out, nothing left. Magnanimous. They are just everything on the line, just everything that you have, you give. And um, he asks her to marry him and they end up getting married like the next day in their honeymoons in Burma. And so she just arrives there. And this is like 20 years ago. And, um, they go in and they find all these displaced people, villagers that are wounded, that have like gunshot wounds and or met, need medical help, or they're just really sick because they have no clean water, no village has been burned and destroyed by this militia. And so he realizes that none of these people know how to treat or how to do triage or how to do like medical care. So he begins to start this thing called... Instead of like the FBI, what was it called? FBR. FBR. It's um, they like train teams of men and women, like on the front line to do medical treatment and recognizance. Do you know what that means? Techniques like military techniques. Yeah, reconnaissance. Re- <laughs> reconnaissance techniques. Yeah. Should have gone it over takes this a lot with of you. Recognition to. <laughs> <laughs> to recognize that it is reconnaissance. So they, Sorry, but really, they're just bringing humanitarian relief is what they're yeah. initially going to do. But then they have this call to help out out this group that's truly causing violence and killing people and basic human rights abuse. So he begins to record, have this video guy record everything they do, and they start sending it to the UN and to like BBC News and the AP Associated Press picks it up. And they start reporting um, what's happening, which allows them to help free these people from these attacks. And this is the course of the many years. But in the movie, Free Burma Rangers, it's all videotaped by his uh, videographer who goes with him everywhere. Mm And the whole purpose initially was just to get the message out. Do people realize what's happening? Um, but as you watch the movie, it gets more and more tense because they go from Burma to Iraq, and it's just so cool. And then they're fighting ISIS, and then they end up in Syria, and then they. But he takes him and his wife have three children, so they go with him. So they're in gunfire. They're in like horrible conditions. And they're leaving it all on the line to save children, to save um, people that have been shot, um, to go un- in sniper fire to get people out, to bring them to medical treatment, just to save one life. Even though ISIS or these militia have wiped out 5,000 people or 500 people or five people, they want to save one life. And it just puts the value of life, the sacredness of life, in such a beautiful, like, holy where it needs to be. It was, so I went to the website when you were saying this, because I hadn't seen the movie yet, just to like read a little bit of the story, but they had a video page and I just watched a video where they wanted to help this woman plant some rice, which she was getting shot at with gunfire. And they went out and said, we're going to plant some rice for you. And she started laughing at them. Are you guys crazy? I just got shot at. And he said, we're going to go out there. And they went out there and they got shot at. <laughs> and it was like real gunfire on these. This was like not play acting. Yeah. And, and his point was, he came back around to it was we have to help this one woman know that she matters. This one woman needs to know that she's that important that we're going to go back out there and face gunfire. And we're going to plant, even if it's just one, one plant of rice, just to let her know that that's how important you are so that you can be sustained. And it was like, Man, you're convicted. Talk about conviction. Yes. Talk about extending yourself. Talk about putting it on the line. And I'm like, man, I'm struggling because I am eating too much popcorn. And, I know. And I'm watching TV rather it's than praying. It's so ridiculous. And it's living a comfortable life and worrying about my bills. And these people are like, they've got a million people displaced and they're there. They can't get enough help helpers to be with them to help, can provide medical care, oh. education, training, housing, 
basic needs and the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, well, Jesus Christ. there's no way to tell his story without mentioning his faith. I mean, he's so passionate about Christ, about prayer, and every decision in this, in this show he makes, every key or important decision, he's crying out to God, give me guidance, put protection around us as we're going to try to save this life. Um, just asking for supernatural intervention, which you see it in this movie, like just real miracles. Like he'll go, he had to get to um, Mosul when they went to Iraq and he didn't know how to get there. And he just prayed, Lord, where do we go? Left or right? And he comes to this fork on the road and he goes, okay, he sees like some Iraqi flags and he goes, okay, we're going right. But he ends up going into um, like an Islamic state area and he starts getting shot on by ISIS. They're just shooting him from all over the place, mortars, machine guns. And <clears throat> he was going to die for sure. And he manages just to get through to this um, like Iraqi soldier guy. And he's like, how did you get through? How did you make it through? He goes, there's no way you could have gotten through. And he's like, I don't know. God just protected us. And the, the Iraqi soldiers, is, he's Muslim. And he's like, and you're a Christian. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, brother, thank you so much. I prayed to Allah that you would, God would send me something. He sends me a Christian, which they start laughing in the video because it's all live video. And they give a big hug. And then he goes, we just need you to bring supplies because the UN or certain re regulations or restrictions were made where the UN couldn't bring food into these neighborhoods. And so he goes, we'll do it. And he's he's not, you think his team is American, but it's all these Burmanese, I don't even know what you call them. Burmese. Yeah, and, and people from different parts of Asia. Mm -hmm. Like just a mismatch of guys that just want to help love and serve their brothers in Christ. It is so beautiful to see just the joy in as they as they successfully complete different missions and different um, calls, the joy that fills them and the love that pours out is so palpable and magnanimous. It's like, yeah. what am I doing with my life? I know. <laughs> I'm so sitting then, here watching Netflix. So in the double feature, <laughs> then in the second movie, you watch Mully the movie. Did you even ever watch no, that? No, we'll do you it. You have to watch I that. I know. Okay, I'll watch Free Burma Rangers with you, and then you'll watch Mully the movie, because it's about, I think he's Kenyan, and it's a guy who, yeah, I'm not going to outdo you here with the story, but it was just that he was a young guy who was homeless for like 10 years, and then his story of building his way up into some wealth, and then he started to rescue the homeless off the streets. Well, and it was just, next story, or next, next story. Next show. Next show. <laughs> next show, we'll talk about... You should talk about what you think of yeah, Free Burma. And you Rangers. can talk about what you saw from, from Molly, the movie. <coughs> and you know what? There's also a movie I owe. There's a couple of movies out there I owe, but one of them was uh, produced by this teenage uh, young lady from Our Lady Star of the Sea about this Eucharistic miracle uh, of um, Lanciano, and um, I've I, I, we're waiting to set up a time to interview the priest that played the part of the doubting priest in the movie, oh. and Father Lappy was in it as well. Oh, cool! And so um, I, our kids are going to watch it. It's only like thirty-five minutes long, but it's a kind of a like a. Uh, it's like a documentary, documentary kind of style where I mean, it's telling you the story. Historical fiction is telling you the story of what happened with this priest. Okay. And so uh, I'm looking forward to watching it because uh, it's it's kind of taken off all by itself. I'm looking forward and to the so, Butterfingers, Twixes, oh Reese's goodness. peanut butter. Cups, God bless us. Snickers. Yes. Pray for me. <laughs> You're going you're to be magnanimous in, in, in receiving and in giving, right? Magnanimous in receiving Kit Kats and in giving baby Ruth. Oh, that's right. All right. And We're at the end of joys. our program. God bless you guys. Join me on Monday for All Saints Day on Sound Insight. God bless you guys.